Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. It's at the center of everything we confess to be true about our Christian faith, something that Jesus spoke of often and demonstrated by his very life, the fact that ours is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, and that because of the resurrection, all are alive. That's the subject of today's message, which is based on Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 38, and entitled, God of the Living. And it starts with the memory of a difficult question. You're gonna be a minister. Maybe you can answer this question. That is a phrase I have heard many times in my life, but one of the first times I ever heard it, it caught me completely by surprise. You're going to be a minister. Maybe you can answer this question. First of all, friends, you need to know that at this time I had barely begun my seminary education. I don't think I was six weeks into it at this point. And I was as yet unaccustomed to answering such questions, or at least those that did not give me 45 minutes in a blue book to answer. <laughs> and moreover, and this is sort of the key point, it was 11 o'clock on a Saturday night. I had just come in for the late shift for my part-time job as weekend janitor and night watchman for the Bangor Daily News. Most certainly an unlikely setting for theological discussion. But, as it happened, the man asking the question was not only the one I'd come to relieve that night for a late night shift, but he also happened to be my supervisor, my boss. So guess what? There was ample time to talk. And talk we did. As there in this tiny maintenance office on the basement floor of the news building, my boss, Roger, shared with me his story. It seems that he had been a widower for many years after having had a long and happy marriage. And he had had a lot of lonely days since his wife's passing. But now, seemingly out of the blue, he'd met someone. And much to each of their surprise, not only had they found companionship, they kind of had fallen in love. And I'll never forget it. With his eyes full of light and happiness, Roger described to me in very simple but eloquent terms of just how much this woman had come to mean to him, about these unexpected feelings of joy and how really his whole life now had been renewed just for the fact of her being with him. They'd even begun to talk about marriage. And the good news, and this doesn't always happen, but the good news was that their families and friends, they were just as excited about this possibility as they were. So it was all good. Except that now Roger was beginning to have some second troubling thoughts. And with his eyes now revealing a hint of his heart anguish, even a little bit of tears, 
He looked me squarely in the eye, and I'll never forget it. He just looked at me, and he said, do you think this is all right with God? And he went on. He said, you know, I married my wife in the sight of God, and I did it for love, and I did it for life. And when she was dying, we promised each other that we would be together in heaven. So if I get married now, is that still going to happen? Or by getting remarried, am I going to be betraying the promises I made to her? And he paused for this long moment as, as though he were letting that sink in, not only for me, but for himself. And, and then Roger said, you know, I, I, I do love this woman. I want to marry her. But if I do, what happens when I die? Now remember, friends, I am just this greenhorn seminarian without a clue of how to answer him. And I'm desperately, I'm listening to him, but I'm also desperately trying to remember something, anything, a value that's, that I heard in an Old Testament class or, or a New Testament class, perchance to glean some small nugget of theological insight that could provide this man with some definitive moral and ethical guidance. Well, but alas, nothing <laughs> was forthcoming. I, I'm thinking, I mean, here's this man. He is pouring out his heart to me. He's looking for some answers. And I can't even begin to give him any real insight as to what was good or right or acceptable where faith is concerned. And, and i got to confess, too, at this point, I'm thinking to myself, some kind of minister I'm going to make. But I also know that I needed to say something. I knew that much. And all these years later, friends, i got to tell you, I now realize that what came out of my mouth next was most certainly not the result of my seminary studies. Or was it really the product of my congregational heritage? It, and it certainly wasn't based on any inherent wisdom on my part. What happened next had to have come instead by the graceful movement of God's own spirit in that particular moment. I don't know. I don't know, Roger. But it seems that God loves you more than enough that he'd want you to be happy. And your wife, too. I think back on it now and I realize I didn't really answer his question. But innocently and unknowingly and thanks be to God in a way that he accepted, I think I gave him the right answer. You know what, actually in our gospel text for this morning, there was this group known as the Sadducees who came to Jesus posing much the same kind of question when you think about it. To wit... And, and, and thank you, Kay, for, for reading that slowly and methodically. That's the only way you can read this question. If each of seven brothers were to marry the widow of the brother who died before him, as would have been customary according to Old Testament family law, then when the widow herself passed away in the resurrection, 
whose wife among all those seven men would she actually be? Hmm? (laughs) Now, of course, I understand that this was meant to be something of a trick question. An impossible riddle without a real answer. In truth of fact, in modern day parlance, this would be considered a gotcha question, wouldn't it? One designed solely to make Jesus look like a fool before those around him and thus destroy his credibility amongst the people. little background here. The Sadducees were this small group of mostly wealthy, very well-educated, and conservative scholars, and they held great places of power in the Jewish religious hierarchy. But as opposed to the Pharisees, who spent their lives in pursuit of achieving something beyond their lives, the Sadducees did not really believe in resurrection. They Mostly, they did not believe because resurrection is not mentioned in the Torah. That is the first five books of the Old Testament. And for the Sadducees, only the Torah held any validity or any true authority. Any talk of eternal life, therefore, would be viewed as false teaching, heresy. And not to mention, and this is kind of the political aspect of it, if you will, it was also would have been an affront to what they perceived as their own authority regarding the truth. So, here's Jesus now, out on the streets of Jerusalem, teaching. This is not long after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, by the way. And he's teaching openly and with great conviction regarding the resurrection to eternal life. And you've got to imagine that infuriated the Sadducees. And they reasoned that by asking Jesus this utterly confusing question about marriage and resurrection, he might just possibly trap Jesus into making some sort of heretical statement, thus discrediting him and validating themselves and their authority in the process. Great plan. However, as he did so very often, Jesus bypassed the question in order to deal with the questioner. He wasn't about to get drawn into the Sadducees' games, but here's the thing. He did give them an answer. And as as it always does, it cut right to the heart of the matter. And in essence, what he says to these Sadducees is, You know what? You are missing the point. Now, our reading for today records Jesus as saying, those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but in the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. In other words, the whole idea of who's married to who and when and how isn't really all that applicable when we're talking about the resurrection. That's sort of what you get a little more directly in the message translation. And this is one of the reasons that I always turn uh, to the message for a little alternative thought. The message records it this way. Marriage is a major preoccupation here, but not there. Those who are included in the resurrection of the dead will no longer be concerned with marriage, nor, of course, with death. They will have better things to think about it, if you can believe that. And this line which is classic. All ecstasies and intimacies then will be with God. 
Yes, says Jesus to these learned Sadducees. The law is essential. Tradition is important. Matters of life and death are crucial. And human relationships are always precious and sacred in God's sight. But in the resurrection, even death itself is irrelevant. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. Even Moses understood this, says Jesus to the Sadducees. Didn't Moses, in the presence of the burning bush, speak of the Lord as being the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? You'll notice that there wasn't any past tense spoken here. It wasn't that God was the father of Abraham, dead or gone, of Isaac or Jacob or the prophets, dead and gone, but is the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, now and forevermore. For God isn't the God of those who are dead and gone, but he is the God of the living. For to him all are alive. Turns out to be such a great answer to this impossible gotcha question that even the Sadducees had to admit that Jesus had answered well and no longer dared to ask him another question. But you know, as we look at that text today, even more than just that, I think Jesus showed them and us a little bit about the character of God and about God's steadfast love. What we have in this text, friends, is a reminder that God has made a covenant with us. God has a relationship with his people that stretches back from generation to generation, a covenant that was in place long before you and me were on the scene, long before Sadducees and Pharisees, long before the prophets, long before Moses. And at the center of this covenant was a promise that nothing would ever destroy the relationship that God has made with them and us. For that when God enters in a relationship with Nothing can end that. I think that's why a funeral service is one of my favorite passages to read. comes from the book of Romans, that Paul's proclamation that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from that relationship of divine love. Our God is the God of the living, not the dead. And because God loves us that much, we live. We live now. We live forever. We live abundantly. We live eternally. The glorious truth of our faith, dear friends, the truth that we proclaim in song and in prayer in our moments of utter joy and in those times of inexpressible grief is that death does not end us. And that's because death does not change who God is and has always been unto us, the giver and nurturer of our lives, the restorer of our identity as the persons and the people we are meant to be and have always been from the moment of creation. And you know, that's not only our good news, it's also our challenge. 
You see, unlike the Sadducees, we do believe in the resurrection to eternal life. That's at the center of everything we confess to be true about our Christian faith. But that said, in truth, perhaps more like the Sadducees than we'd like to admit, the truth is, is that most of us struggle to understand what that belief means as we go through the joys and the challenges of this life. I mean, how do we deal with this life? Much less the life to come when it comes to the resurrection. The very idea of the resurrection is something we can't even begin to wrap our minds around in its fullness. But you see, what Jesus promises us in this passage is that whatever our concerns, whatever our doubts, whatever our confusions and misunderstanding, we can trust in the promise of resurrection, what you know I call often the sure and certain promise of the resurrection. And we can do that because God loves us more than enough that come what may, he'll never let us go. Of our three children, our youngest, Zachary, was always the one who slept the least. That was really true when he was an infant. It continued most of the time he was growing up, and frankly, he's still the one that's most apt to be up late at night burning the midnight oil. But I'll tell you what, when he was very young, despite our very best efforts to keep him in his own bed, he'd often end up in our room and cuddled up next to his mother and me. Sometimes he would even just take a blanket and lay it down on the floor next to us. But aside from our bed being a little bit more crowded on those nights, what I always remember about this is how Zach would eventually start to reach out and touch my face. He'd stroke my hair. He'd feel my beard. He'd get a sense of my breathing against his own skin. And then having done this, he would almost immediately or eventually let out with this contented sigh and drift off to sleep. It was like he needed to know in every way possible that we were there for him, that we weren't going anywhere, and that he was safe all through the night, as it were. I have never forgotten that. I know Lisa hasn't either. And over the years, it has always kind of put me in mind of a, of a piece uh, that I read, and you probably have read it as well. And in it, a mother tries to explain the concept of death to her child. And she says, you fall asleep. And when you're asleep, God, your heavenly Father, with these strong arms comes and, and takes you from this world and into your room a room in heaven that is made just for you. Because you're God's child. You belong to God. God loves you. And nothing can ever take you away from God. The Sadducees wanted to know to whom this widow would be married to in the resurrection, and in the larger sense, to whom she belonged eternally. It was meant as an impossible gotcha question. But it wasn't so impossible. Jesus gave them the answer. 
this widow, she belongs to God. Always has, always will. And the good news, beloved, so do you. So do I. So do we all. You and I who are like angels. You and I who are like children of God. Children of the resurrection. Oh, man. For that life now and for the life to come, thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled God of the Living. It was recorded during our November 10th service of worship at East Congregational Church. As always, if you're looking for a place to worship on a Sunday morning, we'd love to have you at East Church. We gather every week at 10 in the morning at the church on 51 Mountain Road in beautiful Concord, New Hampshire. We are a welcoming congregation filled with spirit, joy, and love. And not only do I think you'll be glad you came, I'd welcome the opportunity to greet you in person. Well, that's it for this episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry. Thanks for listening. Keep in touch. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.